I'd like you to open your Bible tonight to two places. One is in Proverbs, and the other one is in Ephesians chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 5. Now, I want to take my title from what is mentioned in these two passages tonight. I'll tell you what the title is when we read both of them. Let's begin with Proverbs 24 and verse 5. It says, A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Now, there's no way you can have a problem with that if you've been through the third grade. He's simply saying, and I'll put it in what I think he's saying, when you know what God gives you to know and you understand it, you got some revelation about it. Because a lot of people, like Jesus said, they cannot understand his speech. That's what he said in John chapter 8. He said, you can't even hear my words. Well, they heard the sound of words, but they didn't mean anything to them. They might be able to go out and quote what Jesus said, but the word has no bearing on their lives. It won't affect the choices they're going to make in their life. It's just a word, and it had no meaning. Now, wisdom comes from God. And in this particular verse, I believe when God opens our ears and our hearts to see what he is saying, like the old story one time, the blind man said, oh, now I see what you're saying. Well, it's a spiritual thing, of course. When the eyes of your heart, as Paul spoke of in Ephesians 1, when the eyes of your heart are enlightened or illumined, and on the inside, the man of the heart, the man on the inside begins to see what God is saying. And with the seeing, he begins to show you how to make application of that word. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And not many Christians have that, but we could have that. And when you do things the right way, God honors it. Therefore, you're strong because the strength that God has comes this way. Again, in verse 5, a wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases his strength. But it's not just knowledge of anything. You know this. It's not just general academic knowledge that you gain by going to school and reading and studying. This is spiritual knowledge. And a man with knowledge that God gives... With that knowledge comes strength. Not many people may be impressed with your knowledge of God or your desire to know the Lord through his word. That may not affect very many people, but for the man that's experienced it, when you see the effect of how God blesses those who really want to live by his word and seek his word, then you become that person who puts a great premium on hearing the word. That's why you're in meetings. That's why you do study. That's why you are prompted to pray. Because God has shown you that in doing that, you're doing what he wants. And you get strong like this. You don't remain weak living like this. God makes you stronger. You're able to cope with things this year you couldn't have coped with last year. Or you've overcome things in the last couple of years that just kept you defeated 10 years before or a year before because you're getting stronger. But you're only stronger because God has given you something and shown you how to make application of it. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're all familiar with this. In warfare, 
We've been talking about overcoming on Sundays. And here he talks about warfare. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Does your Bible say that? Well, then that's possible, isn't it? Because this is how God wants to equip us to deal with our adversary. The devil is seen in many ways in life. All wickedness, all evil, all deception, all greed, all hatred, all gossip, everything that is different from what God wants comes from the devil. Any form of lying, it all comes from the devil. And you can't be strong if you're doing any of those things. But he said, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, which means that God has made available to us his might. No wonder we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So you see, I can be strong. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying what the Bible says. As far as what the Bible says, I can be strong. And I can be strong not in my strength, but in the strength that he gives. That long, dark nights don't have to be my demise or the end of my life. I do not have to be run down and defeated by everything that comes my way. Circumstances which defeat so many people are not designed to defeat me. They're designed for me to overcome them. But I can't unless I'm strong. And the devil, while he comes like a roaring lion and walks about seeking whom he can control and rule and devour and destroy... God opens our eyes and shows us that you don't have to have that. You don't have to live that way. You can overcome anything and everything the devil throws at you. There's nothing that he can do that you can't overcome. Because God makes you strong. We don't have a testimony when we're whining and complaining. We don't have a testimony talking about our sicknesses and our diseases and our losses and our failures and our troubles at home. When we advertise those things and broadcast that stuff, we're not being strong. We're dwelling on the things that are overwhelming us instead of us overcoming them. And so God wants us to be strong. Now, tonight I want to talk about four keys to being strong because we should be strong. There's four things probably many more, but four, to me, outstanding things that when each of these things becomes something you're experiencing, they have to do with or the reason for us being strong. First thing I want to talk about tonight is that we can be strong because we can know God. Now, everybody talks about knowing God. That wouldn't be anybody's first point, but it's mine. God can be known by his people. Did you know that? Now, see, we always talk about, we say things all the time. Well, do you think that person knows the Lord? Or do you know the Lord? Or I know the Lord. That has become kind of a religious saying. Just like, you know, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. Yeah, I know the Lord. Yeah, they know the Lord. Well, he goes to church. I'm sure they know the Lord. Without ever stopping to think about what that means. See, from the very beginning, from the foundation of all of this, why would a holy God want to know me? And yet, he knows everything about me, knows the hairs on my head. 
There's nothing about me that he does not know. Problem is, I don't know him. Oh, I heard the Sunday school classes. I went to that all my life. And I, the little booklets you got to guide for the class and the little, you know, fill in all the lines, write your answers and, and the manual and all. But, you know, all of us have probably done that. And yet our life isn't changed. Yet the Bible puts a great emphasis on the fact that the least of us, the lowest of us, the ones that he dragged out of the miry clay, that's bad place. Miry clay is not like lower class. I mean, you're bottom. And the people he picked, he drug them out of the miry clay and it says he planted them in his court. And there he has declared, you are mine and I will be your God. But now, me being your God isn't going to have any effect on your life if that's all you ever know. If you only know that, well, I went forward, I got baptized, or I asked the Lord to save me, if that's all you ever know, you still don't know the Lord. You know, many years ago, I think I shared this. When my brother was a Major League Baseball player, he played with the Yankees. And one day when I was up there visiting him, he took me into the Yankee Stadium and into the dugout and the dressing room. And here's all of these famous ball players. And I got to meet them and go to their, where their locker room was. And there was their name. Here's Mickey Mantle. And, you know, I can have you. But how many of you know that having been where they were, and having met them, shook hands with them, doesn't mean I know them. I can go out and say, yeah, I, met, I, met, I met the Lord in church this morning. That's good because you start there, but that doesn't mean you know him. Because you see, knowledge is designed to change things. You were this way and God saved you just like that. You chased cars most of your life. You know what that means, don't you? You're a dog. And you chase cars most of your life. Now, God took a car chaser and brings him into this kingdom. Just as I am, God saved me. And God saved me June 30th, 1968, at five minutes to 12. Now, he didn't get much. I got a lot. It's a bad deal for God. It's a great deal for me. Amen. <laughs> he didn't get much. But he did this because... He wanted to. I mean, like I said, I didn't choose God. He chose me. Remember the Bible says that? You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he ordained you. Now, the reason he chose me was for reasons known to himself. But once he chose us, he says, now, I'm going to give you some information. Little by little, you can't handle it all at once. I'm going to give you as much as you can handle and every time you get a little bit of information, I'm going to send with it conviction. Y'all know what conviction does? Conviction is what makes you feel guilty when you don't line up. It's why you repent. Oh, God. Anyway, he said, with all the information I'm giving you, I'm going to put a little bit of guilt and conviction in it because I'm going to change your life, Hamilton. I didn't save you because you were anything because you were nothing. You were dead. You were not alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were by nature a child of disobedience. And I took you out of all of that, and I saved you. With a warped mind and a warped life, I saved you. I put my spirit inside of you. 
and he begins to feed us this word. But mainly, he draws us to him. Remember, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. And so God begins to bring us to him and begins to teach us. Now, there's only one way you can ever know God. Matthew 11. Only way that I know of, I've found the Bible here, the only way you can know God is not by searching. You can't just say, well, I'm going to find out who God is. You can find out a lot of facts about him, but you'll never know him personally until Matthew 11, verse 27. Listen to this. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. Now, this is red letter, so this is Jesus speaking because my Bible is red here, okay? So this is what the master says. All things are delivered unto me of my father. And no man knoweth the son but the father. Neither knoweth any man the father, save or except for the son. And he to whomsoever the son will reveal him. Let me ask you all a question. How can anybody know God? It is only as the Spirit of God reveals him. Remember Jesus said, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist, but, you know, come back. But he said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, flesh and blood didn't show you that. You didn't learn that in school or from somebody. You might have heard that, but you didn't learn that. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who was in heaven. Remember when the 70 returned from their two-by-two two journeys, casting out devils and doing all the things he said to do? Remember what? They came back all excited because of the outpouring of God's power on people through them. They were excited. Remember what Jesus said? Father, I thank thee that thou hast hidden these things, and he still is. Still does with a lot of religion today. I thank you. You have hidden these things that they're experiencing from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them unto babes. Perhaps a babe like the publican. Remember the publican when he realized how sinful and criminal he was before God. The Bible says he could not so much as lift up his eyes unto God. All he could do was bow his head, smote upon his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He humbled himself before the Lord. And I think in the humility of that kind of a life, you will find the Lord reveals himself to you. Because you don't know everything anymore. You're not Charlie Potatoes anymore, whoever he was. You're not Mr. Know-it-all anymore. You're somebody that's been brought out of the miry clay by the power of something greater than you are because you couldn't. And he brought you to him, and he's willing to open up. As you begin to read his word, he's opened up the treasures of heaven for you. I said, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. The same God begins to show you all these things. And then one day, hopefully, you study his attributes. You begin to see 
the solitariness of God or the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, and you begin to see that God is supremely all of that. And anything of man that is like that, it's only good if it's patterned after the heavenly. Must come from God. Every man has to bow his head. If he accomplishes anything in life, say, you know, if I've done it all, I'm still an unprofitable servant. Because it's God remaking me, showing me things I've never seen before, things that I want to do. And when I begin to do it, he honors it, blesses it. You know, you want to think, look at me, man. And God says, remember, you're nothing. Anything that got done through you was done by me through you. That's why I chose you. So we begin to realize that it's important for us to know God, to know him. But the good thing about it is, I can. I can know the Lord. Now, the word know here in the New Testament that we're looking at is a word which means to know in the sense that your life is affected and determined by it. It's not a knowledge that you can just go somewhere and get when you want it, but it's a knowledge, a revelation-type knowledge that God gives to you that is so deeply embedded in you that it affects the way you live. It affects the direction you go. Your life is affected and determined by what the word know means and how God uses the word know there. Remember Philippians chapter 3? Paul said, you know, after all these years, all the churches that were started and all the, half the New Testament was written by this man. He wasn't writing a, a New Testament. Paul was just writing letters to the church. Didn't realize that what he was writing down was penned by the Lord. And one day it would be the word of God to us. I don't care who wrote it. It's the word of God. And Paul said, there's one thing after all these years and after all this and the way that I've been walking and the difficulties and the turbulence that I've had in my life, I've come to this conclusion at, towards the end of my life. There's only one thing that I really want. And you know what it was? I want to know the Lord. I want to know him. I want to be able to just think like he thinks. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Well, you're not Christ, of course, but he has given to you a way of thinking. Romans chapter 12, he said, be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed. How? Transformed is the metamorphosis. It's the being changed into something else by the renewing of your mind. My mind is getting new information and kicking out old. A new way of living has come to me. My brain, my mind wants to reject some of it because it's going to cost me too much, but I overcome it. I crucify my flesh with its affections and its lust. And all these things which wants me to survive and, and set aside and make excuses for why I'm not living the way I should, I crucify it. Because wisdom says you can't say you're following the Lord if you're afraid of the consequences. You can't do that. You may go to church and, or you may find one where you don't have to listen to that and think you're all right. But if you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to have to carry a cross and be willing. Whatever you get tore up about, get crucified. God wants all of us 
or nothing. He said, you can't serve God and anything else. So he wants it all. He wants us to be like that. He wants us to know him. It's like Jesus said. There's two classic verses in the Bible about the power of knowledge, of knowing God. Two classic verses. Let me give you both of them. One is in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. And you've heard this. You might not have known where it was, but you have heard this. You probably can quote it. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Who else is throughout the whole earth looking for something? Isn't this devil looking for somebody to devour? What's God looking for? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Does your Bible say something close to that? It ought to be close to that. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself what? Strong. Well, how strong is God? Unlimited, right? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. That's strong. Nothing can defeat him. No weapon formed against him can prosper. You know all of that. The eyes of the Lord, it's a figure of speech, is looking in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, out there in the, the world, wherever you folks are from. He's looking for somebody who has a heart for him. See, you know the Lord with your heart. You hide the word, thy word have I hid where? In my heart. You have a brain and you can know things in the world with your mind, but you can't know the Lord. A natural man by natural methods and means cannot know the Lord. But God reveals things to our hearts. Again, thy word have I hid in my heart. The entrance of thy words give light. Your light is a lamp and a candle and so forth. We are told that the eyes of the Lord are looking around Shelbyville Christian Assembly, looking for that person who wants to have his heart right and perfect with God. Totally yours, as best I know how, struggling and striving, but giving it to you. Giving all I got. You're not getting much, but Lord, take what I've got and let me see your strength. Now go to the right, past Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, to Daniel. The book of Daniel, right of center in your Bible. Daniel 11 and verse 32. The end of that verse says, the people that attend church will be strong. Well, that's never been true. I mean, if that's all you do is just attend church, that has never worked. But the people that have learned facts about God shall be strong. That's never been true either. Being gifted with knowledge of facts doesn't mean you're strong. It doesn't mean you trust any of that. It means you've learned a lot. But he says, but the people that do know their God shall be what? Strong. And what will they do? Exploits. They will do whatever is given them to do. 
The word exploits, I understand, is not in the original. It was added there, but it still is a good application. The people that are strong will be seen in life as those who are different from others because they are above falling apart all the time and complaining and crying, and they're strong. They go through the same trials and struggles that anybody else does. They just don't give in to them. They're strong. And yet some people will not fight. They're not strong. They give in. They cave in. They make excuses. They hang around people that make excuses, and somehow that seems to satisfy. But it's never right because you can have a personal relationship with the Lord. As I said earlier, I met some famous baseball players a long, long time ago. I don't know any of them. I met them. Point is, like a lot of folks that go to church, they went forward and said the right things and maybe got baptized, depending on the church you're in and all of that. But their life doesn't evidence knowledge. There's no strength in their life. They're as afraid of things in life as anybody in the world is. They're fearful of what tomorrow's going to bring, if it's going to snow or if there's some kind of a flu going around or some kind of a problem going around. There's the same kind of fears. It seems like that even though they say they know the Lord, they don't know what he has for them because they don't know what they can believe for. They really don't know the Lord. Like me meeting some famous people, they know them by what they've heard about them, maybe met them once, but they don't know them. See, you folks know me a lot better, far better than I know you. But I've shared all my life for 30 years next week. 30 years next week. We'll be 30 years old as a church. That's a long time. And I've shared, you know, at least five times everything I believe and everything I've done. But see, I know very little about you. Aren't you glad? We know some people better than we do other people, obviously. But when it comes to God, every one of us are privileged to come boldly to the throne of grace, not just to always get something, but to fellowship with the Lord. Like Paul said, I just want to know you. I want good cleanness to come into my life. I don't want to trash my life like so many people I've seen do. I don't want to be overwhelmed with stuff and be defeated always sad and sorry for what I did. I don't want to live like that. I want to have the victory. I want to have the joy and the peace in my life. Well, that comes from knowing God. You can't know the Lord and not have things of that sort. You just can't do it. Would you turn to John 14? Let me give you one more verse about this before we move on. John 14 and verse 21. Now, the word... No is not mentioned here, but there's something interesting that is. Now, John 14, verse 21 said, He that has my word, he that has my word and keeps it, he's the one who loves me. Then he said this, And he that loves me shall be loved by my Father. Now, let's stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Let's just stay with this verse for a minute. Who loves the Lord? Who does Jesus here describe as those who truly love the Lord? Those who keep his word, obey and do what he said. 
Again, that's not easy to some degree. We stumble with that, some more than others. But the point of it is, to those who have a heart for this, who want to do it, and who are trying and maybe with difficulty, but they're not giving back, they're not backing up, they're not giving in, they really want to live this way. He said, whoever loves me will keep my word. And for the person who loves me like this, he said, I will love him. He will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And what else will he do? The very last part of that verse. And I will manifest myself to him. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word has to do with removing the veil. What you cannot see or what you can't see clear and what you really can't get a hold of is removed so that it's there. There it is. You're not looking through a mirror dimly now. You're beginning to see who it is you're walking with and the glory of it and the power of it, the beauty of it, the sweetness of it. It all begins to be shown to you. To know really does mean, as one dictionary says, to know God is to experience God. You experience God because God shows you things he wants you to experience. And as you do that, he has more. So your walk with the Lord is a walk of living and learning and realizing. And it's also captures your will and your affections and joy begins to come out because, hey, this works. This works. And there's peace and then there's confidence about what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, God is already in my tomorrows. And when I get there, he'll be there. And if I don't get there and he comes tonight, I'm going to heaven. And so there's this peace and joy of the fact that God has given you such knowledge that praise God. People can't bribe you. You're not scared of things. You're not scared of people. It's like, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. That's faith. I'm convinced. I'm absolutely sure that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him and praise God for all of that. But Jeremiah said this in chapter 9. He says, now let a man who's going to glory, glory in this, that he knows and understands me that I am the Lord. What a wonderful verse. Jeremiah 9, 24. If you're going to boast, if we're going to brag about things, let's not brag about how pretty our building is. You know. We're pretty classy. But let's boast in this. Let him boast in the fact that something spiritual. I know the Lord and I understand. How would you ever know the Lord? How would you ever understand? Well, God manifests himself to you. He begins to show you who he is. You don't see so much a face and an image. His word just becomes alive. Doesn't the Bible say that the word is the Lord? And you begin to see in this word, this is the goodness of God, the wonder of it all, that God would give us these things and show them to us so that we can live this way and have all of this. Praise God. But Jeremiah said, if you're going to brag, brag about the fact that you know God and you understand him, that he is the Lord and there is no other. The Bible's so full of verses about knowledge. Remember that one classic verse? This is an eternal verse. John 17, 3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life that they might know thee. 
You think about that tonight, folks. It's spoken to us this night. And this is eternal life. That they, the people that God has chosen, that they might know thee. That is, that they might come into a relationship with you. And as you begin to show or disclose things to them, as you said in John 14, 23, as you begin to disclose yourself to them and manifest yourself to them, it becomes a way of life to these people. They begin to just enjoy trusting in the Lord and letting God have his way. He said, this is eternal life. This is what Christians do. It's not just knowing about God and getting on some program of how much can I learn, but it's the kind of knowledge that guides the life. The kind of knowledge that leads to the experience of the knowledge. We've all known people that say, well, I went to church, usually in a time of crisis. I went to church and it didn't help me. That's not the reason you go to church. It's like the guy, somebody said, you know, if you want to get saved, don't you want to see your dead mother or don't you want to go be in heaven with them? And he said, yeah, well, then you need to get saved. That's not why you get saved. It's not why you come to the Lord. You come to the Lord because you're a sinner. Like that publican, you have no ulterior motive for wanting to come to the Lord. I am a dog. I am not worthy of anything clean. And good. And you bow your head, ask for mercy, and God saves you. And then when he saves you, he begins to show you things he wants. You begin to make application of those things. God honors your faith in those things, and you begin to say, praise God. Your life has changed. People look at you and they say, you're no fun to be with anymore because everything about you is Jesus and God. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? If he's kept us well for 40 years, why wouldn't it be all about God? If all the bills have been paid and all the kids have been raised and all the, the joy and the peace and a happy marriage has, has been the result of trusting God to do that, I don't know how to do that, but he gave me a word that he'll do that. All right, and Jesus, and when he does all of this, why wouldn't we be glad? Why wouldn't we sing, he has made me glad, he has made me glad? No wonder the people that know their God shall be strong. No wonder there's joy in knowing Jesus. But knowing is available to all of us. You can know him if you want to. When God brings you to himself, he never leaves you alone. Because if, if, you have been born again. If you are truly regenerated, if you have been made new, and as Titus speaks about, then I guarantee you that the thing that God put in you is the very thing that will draw you to him to want to know him. Amen. Another thing that makes us strong, another key, is the realization and the learning that God is able. Now you say, well, everybody, no, 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 they don't either. They sure don't. Turn to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Paul wrote this. He said, now unto him that is able. Now, is this referring to God? 
I don't want to be academic. I don't want to be just real juvenile about this, but I do want to make sure we make the point. Does Paul describe God as being able to do something? Able has to do with empowered. If he is able to do something, then it doesn't matter what doesn't want him to do it. He is able to do it anyway. Now to him that is able to do, boy, notice the words, exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Of him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in the preacher. Well, I know you're in the right place then if you protest. Now unto him who is able. Let's savor this verse for just a moment. You don't read very far in the New Testament without coming into something similar to this. Or you don't read the epistles hardly any without realizing the power of God. And yet the power of God that he has seen in what he has done. He spoiled principalities and powers, redeemed fallen man who could not redeem himself and on and on and on. The same one he says now, this is who your God is. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. That seems like a lot. Exceeding abundantly. A whole bunch more than. That'd be a Kentucky version. A whole bunch more than. Exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Well, my asker can get pretty lofty sometimes. Yeah, my asker can get up there close to heaven on occasion. It hasn't always been able to go that far. I've never felt real sure about asking for just anything, but I've always felt comfortable about asking for things that my heart gives a go to. The first automobile I ever claimed was a used car. I claimed in 1973. I claimed because somebody had given me some money. It wasn't enough to buy a new car, so I just started looking around for used cars. I'd drive here and I'd drive there. I think for two or three days, I was looking for a car that I could buy for $3,000. Now, this is 1973 gas. It wasn't very high yet. I mean, a brand new car would be in a $4,500 range. That's a pretty nice car. You get a Corvette for 65. But anyway, <laughs> I couldn't find a car. A guy called me. A man in our church called me and said, I'm supposed to call you. Deliver a message to you. You're supposed to take your $3,000 that everybody knew now, because that testimony went out. <laughs> You're supposed to take the money that the Lord gave you and go to Jim O'Neill Ford over in Sellersburg, Indiana, and take the car you're driving, that old 67 Oldsmobile, and your $3,000, and pick up your new car. I said, well, I don't have any more money than that. Well, I'm just telling you what I told you. So I drove to... Jim O'Neill Ford. You know, he always had his Bible in his pocket. And I said, Mr. O'Neill, he said, praise the Lord. I said, yes, absolutely. He said, come in here, man, fill out these forms. And he said, here's your keys to your new car. He said, somebody else paid the rest of it off. 
Now, you all don't understand. You see, maybe this happens to you folks all the time, but this, <laughs> this was way over my head. I'm looking for something with decent miles on it, with tires that weren't square. I got a brand new car, a brand new 1973 Ford. It was green. I'll never forget it. And I remember got in it, and it smelled like a brand new car. And I was by myself to put the keys in it, prophesied, and started speaking in tongues. I was happy. I was glad. I really was. I was alone. It's okay to do that. There were no mics in a car. Nobody could see me. I realized this verse later on, how that you're asking for something right here because that's where your faith is. I didn't have Mercedes-Benz faith, and I don't today because I wouldn't care about that. I don't think, but <laughs> I've never been there, so I don't know. I had this level of faith. That's where my heart was. That's what I knew I could believe. I was comfortable there, and God gave me something new. How many of you know he can do that? Well, you probably all know this. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think because God is not limited by natural law, Amen. biological law, scientific law, or any other kind of law. God is not limited or hindered by your circumstances, the country you live in, the job you have. God can supersede anything. He's just looking for the person who has a heart to put him in his right place, that God is God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. That car launched Bonnie, and it's like we took off in one of them rockets. You see them? They go, you all see them? Well, help me so I don't spend the night. That thing goes up. The higher it goes, the more freedom you have in the Lord. You have gone from glory to glory. Your life has elevated itself just a little bit in the sense that you are able to have confidence in God for something more than you used to be able to have confidence in him for. In other words, you're growing spiritually. You'll be finding more rest and peace in God because it's becoming more and more evident that God is able. It's just like the first time I claimed a house paid for. I wrote it out on a little car, still got it framed. I claimed a house. I didn't have a job. I've traveled as an itinerant preacher. And while that may be glamorous to some people, my wife didn't think so. And sometimes you got very blessed, and sometimes it only cost you 50 bucks that week to preach a gospel. But I claimed a new home thinking, you know, I don't have that kind of an income. I don't have any support. I don't ask for money. I only take up offerings. I've never asked anybody for a dime. I don't ever plan to, unless it's for somebody else. And yet here I am asking God for a home. Not right away, but after several years of seeing God do things more than what I believe in him for. Not only just healing something, but removing the presence of it from your body for the last 40 years. Just takes it away. Instead of keep healing it, it just removes it. And claim a house. God said in Mark 10, he put an S at the end of house. Oh, I saw it. I saw the S. 
houses, plural. I wasn't wanting God to give me a, a subdivision. I didn't ask to be rich. I just asked from behalf of my family, I asked for a nice home. I wrote in my contract, fit for a king's kid, which I am. And then I put the thing in my wallet and carried it around. Every now and then we get it out and look at it and said, in Jesus' name. After four, four or five years, you think, well, you think that's going to work? If it's in your heart, it will. I said, if it's in your heart, it will. Because Jesus said, what things soever you desire. When you pray, what? Believe you have received it and you shall have it. The verse before that said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he saith, shall come to, he shall have whatsoever he saith. I don't know many people believe that, because people get suspicious of anybody that say that, but I believed it. I didn't care. I've lost all the friends I used to have. They're all gone. You're my new ones. My 30-year friends. But one day, it happened. It took, what, two or three years to build this house? I had enough money. Well, all right, put the roof on it. All right, get the drywall. And as I had the money, one day it was done. And I was in a place I didn't belong, in a house that was okay, I guess, nice. But I need to be in Shelbyville. And when it came time to leave there, to come here, I couldn't sell the house because they wouldn't let me get a deed on it. So I gave the house to the people, the church. You can have it. I'm going to Shelbyville. Came back and started all over right here in this town. A little hacklish at first, but then I began to see, look, God gave it. They can have it. I walked away from it. And it wasn't long until other things happened, this and that happened. Next thing you know, I've got another one. My mom died. I had another one. I had two or three of them at one time. And I remembered that S, houses. You've never heard me stand up here and say, how many houses y'all got? I got two or three of them myself. <laughs> I'm just glad I've got the experience of seeing the ability of God perform for the likes of me. How he made it possible for me and my wife. I can agree with Paul. I am the least of all saints. I can understand what he's talking about. And yet it pleased God to give unto me, his child, the goodness of his kingdom. He did say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what did he say? All, say these, these things shall be added unto, no, the preacher, unto you. Why would God do that? Would he go to extremes or any lengths just to let you know that this is who you're serving and it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? 
Would he do that? Now, this is not my subject tonight, but let me say it. Then if you know what I'm talking about, don't you ever be stingy ever again. Our Heavenly Father has given us far more than we deserve. If you only have a little bit tonight, you've got more than a lot of people in this world will ever have. But God is saying, if you will see him for who he is, if you will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you, point one. And you can know God and relate to him. And when you begin to see who he is, he will disclose unto you, manifest the reality of his word to you. He said, I'm able. I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Would we quote about Abraham a while ago and in Romans 4, 21 or something? He said, concerning his wife, Sarah, having a baby? I mean, she was not a young girl. But God sometimes waits to test us and then has it printed so we can take stock in the fact that God is unlimited by the ability of a body to have a baby or childbearing years or anything else. Abraham, your wife's going to have your child by you. And she went, <laughs> and he said, why is she laughing? You think God can't do this? You think God can't supply your needs or get you all the way out of debt or deliver you from a spending spirit or eating spirit or drinking spirit or a smoking spirit? You think God cannot deliver you from this unhappy life that people are trying to live? Do you think he's able to deliver you? Is he able? Can he? Man, nothing is too hard for God. I am persuaded. Abraham was a friend of God. God talked with Abraham, a man to man, like he did Moses, and he talked to him. He had a relationship with God. And when the Almighty God said, you're going to father a child, Abraham, okay. You read in Hebrews 11, Sarah received strength to conceive because she believed. She considered him able, and so did Abraham. It's in Hebrews 11 about both of them. This is written for us. All these things I'm talking about tonight that's in the Bible, they weren't written for another generation. They're not written for entertainment. This is written for life. This is our life. This is how we walk. This is how we live. When the world is falling apart, God is not falling apart because he is able. What do you say in Jude? Jude 23 or 4, he is able to keep you from Falling? Well, everybody's falling, but you won't. Why? Because God is able. When the world's falling apart and everybody's going down the tube and being overwhelmed by circumstances, and we're about there in America. I'm not a prophet, so I don't get into that. Feelings, I guess you have, or ideas about it. But he said, you won't fall. A thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. But in 91st Psalm, he says, it will not come nigh you. Why? Because God is able to perform his word. There is nothing too hard for God, not even you and me. God never has looked at anybody in this room and scratched his head and said, oh, man. What am I going to do now? Never. There is nothing that can happen in this world 
that is bigger than God, nor can it happen that God did not know it. In any time he didn't want that to happen, he can stop it from happening because he is master and ruler over this whole universe. I take stock in the fact that a sovereign God has revealed himself to me as supreme, almighty. That's part of his attributes, that he is the almighty God, that he rules in the kingdom of men. And in the same book, he said that in chapter 4 down, he said in chapter 11, we read it, they that know their God will be strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong means strong. They will be strong. They will not be overwhelmed and be defeated, and they won't fall apart. You turn over to Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. This is the kind of verse you want to underline. I used to write notes in the front or the back of my Bible as a reference So I could go back and read this on those days. I'm just looking for something to read and just be strong. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth with great difficulty. How do you make it? By thy great power. How's the end of verse? And there is nothing, nothing too hard for thee. What does that mean? It means what it says. Now listen, to make this practical now, maybe where we can apply it. How many times in your life in the last couple of years have circumstances seemed to have no solution? Oh God, and you think, man, I, you know, maybe it was a job. Maybe it's a job market. Maybe it's a kid in your family. Maybe it's a problem in your business. Maybe it's debt you shouldn't have had, but you had to have it because you had to have it. And now you're grieving over it. Wasn't God's will, but, you know, God is good enough that he's willing to get you out of it too. I'm amazed how many people get out of it and go right back into it like they've never learned a thing. I don't know if you'll get them out the second, third time, but he did once. God begins to deal with us, shows us what he can do, what his power and might and ability is? Are we supposed to take rest and solace in that? Are we supposed to feel good about that? God can do anything. Nothing's too hard for him. Oh, we do. We do because there isn't anything too hard for him. You think of it, nothing is too hard for God. Not your circumstances, not your bills, not a job, not money problems, not family problems or marriage problems not a church problem, not mental problems, not confusion or anguish or depression. Those are serious things to people that are going through that. I'm not making light of any of that because I know that mental anguish is a horrible thing, depression. Drug companies are making fortunes off of depression. Just fortunes. They don't want you to get free from it. They couldn't sell their drugs, but they advertise it. You see it all the time. People that are forlorn, overwhelmed, can't cope, don't want to do anything, don't want to bathe, don't want to cook, just get in a dark corner and just quit. Is God bigger than that? 
is a solution for all of that in his word. Can he change all of that? See, just because you find out in the Bible or I tell you that God can change that does not mean it's going to change. Because God is waiting for something from you that brings this into play. It's called faith. It's accepting as true what God said and counting on God to do what he said. You may not feel better. Your gloom may not go away right away. The money may not come in yet. The swelling or the whatever it is, the sickness or the infection might still be raging. But see, there's something else going on in your heart. There's something that says God is faithful. And he is able to take in any stage you find cancer or a heart condition. There is no such thing as a condition that's too bad that God can't heal it. Because the worst thing a disease can do is take your life and God has raised the dead. I mean, what's greater than that? The thing killed you and God said, no, you're going to live again. Boom, there you are. Because he's able. Look at verse 27 of the same book. He says there also, is there anything too hard for thee? In Genesis 18, 14, he says the same thing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Matthew quotes that in Matthew 19, 26. It says, with God, all things are possible. Why does God say things like that when so few Christians believe it? Is it not true that somebody's going to believe this? Somebody is going to take God at his word? Somebody is going to quit measuring God by the results they see in the church. Well, I would like to believe that God could do this. If I look around the church, I've never seen it done. That doesn't mean he can't do it. It could mean they're just not believing that he will. They would like for him to, but they're not believing he will. Remember what Romans 3, 3 says, let God be true and every man a liar. There's a little bumper sticker used to say, if God says it, and I believe it, that settles it. But the fact of it is, if God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Right. Believing is the privilege that God grants us. Faith is a gift. It's that divine ability to take God at his word. And only the ones he gives it to can do that. And it's designed to grow, which is what we've been talking about. But God can do all of that. Listen, there's no such thing as a circumstance, a condition, a problem that is bigger than God. To Abraham and Sarah, I don't care how old a woman is, if God says a 90-year-old woman is going to give natural birth to a natural child, a living human being, then it's going to happen. The internet is full of all the reasons why it can't happen and all the experts are saying this is foolish and this is dumb and it's got to be some kind of, and they give a name to a tumor. This poor soul's got a tumor. Until they have to change the diaper on that tumor. <laughs> You're living in a world today, in a time today, it's probably the most skeptical, perhaps, this is the only time I've ever lived, I can't speak for any other age. But I cannot imagine an age being more skeptical than this one. A time when more unclean spirits were in the world. A time when immorality was such a casual thing now. 
that vulgarity and ugliness is so common and ordinary that nobody blushes anymore. That people just live like nothing is important, nothing counts, nothing is sacred. You tell them God is able to do stuff? Yeah, of course, of course. You tell Christians in churches what I've just said tonight, and a lot of them would just close their Bibles. Ugh. That's one of those cults. Is it? Is it really? Is it really? See, I would say to you, I don't want you to believe a thing I've said tonight. Not even my testimony about that car I was telling you about. I don't even want you to believe that. Unless it's true. But don't believe it because I said it. But believe it because the Word of God says it. When you have two eyes and a heart and a mind, you read it for yourself. Let God relate to you. Give Him the credit and the glory, not a man. I mean, that's the way he wants you to do it. Could God raise Jesus from the dead? How did he do it? Well, it doesn't matter how he did it. He doesn't even explain it. And if he did explain it, you wouldn't understand it. But it had nothing to do with biology. It had nothing to do with explaining it by natural means. Well, this is how God raised the dead. One day he began to exercise. No. How'd God create the world? Well, he caused wind to blow over. Nat Geo says he caused millions of years of this and that. No, I'll tell you how he made the world. B! That's how he did it. Grass. <laughs> Trees. <laughs> Water. <laughs> That's how he did it. Now see, the world laughs. But we praise the Lord because that's our God. Amen. That's whose side I'm on. <laughs> that's who the champion of my faith is, God. Well, you look like such a fool. Oh, I sure I am. But I'm willing to be a fool for Christ, are you? Hallelujah. I don't mind the world saying, yeah, he's so dumb. Because, see, we don't exact all of our needs and our hopes and dreams in the world's methods. We employ them because we have to go shop and eat and get gasoline and all of that. But we don't trust in the world's way of getting things that God promises to give. He promised to heal his people, didn't he? You won't find a lot of Christians that really believe that. Oh, well, now, you know, I, I don't know about that. Well, be careful. It's not First John 5.10. You don't want to do that. We'll get to that next time because I am sure not going to finish tonight unless you're going to stay here all night. <laughs> These are things that are important for you to know. God wants you to know that you can know him. That you can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He's given it to you. The door is open to us. We have minds. All we need is to be willing. And that's our next point. And we'll get that the next time. Amen. I give you thanks tonight for your word, for the word of God. May we be living receptacles of that word, vessels desiring to be filled full of your word. And most of all, teach us how to live it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.